Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, Iowa Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Tuesday, November 14th, uh, what, nine days out from Thanksgiving. Uh, that most holy of holidays, if you, like me, are of the smoking meats persuasion, uh, already planning my brine and to uh, to beg off all other Thanksgiving preparations so I can... Uh, Get the bird on the pit boss and let it roll with me uh, for this podcast, which unfortunately will not be about smoking meat. Uh, although maybe we should just maybe we should just shift gears. Is Mike Nislick with the Bloomington Herald Times? Mike, what uh, what, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh not much. That's it. Thanksgiving's not my not my bag. Oh come on! You got to get the get the smoker going. It's a good reason to have a beer. It's a good reason to just sort of forswear all other possible responsibility on the day of. <laughs> I one mean, of, you could you could do that any day. It's it's one of the many things that separates Thanksgiving from Christmas, especially once you have kids. There's no such thing as forswearing responsibility on Christmas if you're a parent. Um, you you pretty much are running from sun up until sundown. Um, we're going to talk a little football um, because obviously it was a a meaningful week for Indiana, if not perhaps the meaning that Indiana was searching for. But we'll we'll obviously focus more on hoops, as I think it's fair to say a lot of people are turning the page here. Um, first of all, Indiana loses, what, 48-45 or is it 45-42? I'm losing my mind now. 48-45, wasn't it? Yeah, 48-45. At, at Illinois on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I there's the obvious frustration if you're – an Indiana fan, an Indiana player, an Indiana coach, whoever, that you can show such improvement defensively over a couple of weeks at Penn State, then certainly against Wisconsin, and then not just necessarily go to Illinois and, um, you know, not play well defensively, but go to Illinois and really just never really show up defensively in any meaningful way. Um, you know, John Paddock, Illinois' backup quarterback who started that game, wound up Big Ten Offensive player of the week because he threw for more than 500 yards. Obviously, Indiana allowed 48 points to a team that I don't think had scored that many all season. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to to suggest all this is is reducible to cliches, but it, it does just kind of feel like one of those where you just sort of say, you know, bad teams find ways to lose, and and I don't uh, I don't want it to be. I don't want to sound like that's you know just what we're absolutely reducing it down to because people will want more depth than that, and I understand that. But you know, the one of the things that keeps you know, teams that can't get to bowl eligibility from bowl eligibility isn't just that they're always bad at one thing or always bad at another, but just that they can't string together the the consistency of performances such that you know the stuff they need shows up when they need it. Well, yeah, and I asked Tom Allen about that this week, just the wild swings, um, you know, for a team that played so well against Ohio State and Louisville, then they take, you know, they almost lose to Akron at home. Um, things fall apart at Maryland. They rebound the last two weeks, and then, you know, the wheels come off. I mean, historically, I mean, you know, you talk about bad, but, I mean, that was a historically bad performance by the defense. I mean, one of only four times a quarterback has thrown for 500 yards against them. In program history, the 662 yards tied for second most uh, going back to the year 2000, which is the last year that Sports Reference had uh, the stats available for games. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 bad, right? I mean, that was uh, and in the playoff mentality mode, like that was their last shot, right? So, 
There was no focus issues on if that's the best the team could muster against an Illinois team, like you mentioned, backup quarterback, still had some nice weapons in terms of Isaiah Williams, who was like unguardable. Um, but um, you know, have to be absolutely concerned just about what they put on the field. Um, uh, and obviously it, it weighs more heavily for Tom Allen because he's the defense, you know, he's the guy. That's his defense. And it just I mean, it it you know, you mentioned the numbers at least as much historical sort of context as we could lend them. I mean, I, I do think this is one, and I'm not trying to rub it in, but I do think this is one that like IU fans still talk about the day Larry Johnson came to to Indiana and rushed for like 327 yards on a field with like sands. I haven't heard Larry Johnson, the, the future Green. Chiefs running back. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, who he was with Penn state. And, you know, there have been some others, Jake Brudock throwing six touchdown passes for Michigan and that overtime uh, game in 2015. It just feels like one of those that I think Indiana fans are, are going to remember because, you know, it, it also, listen, we can't sit here and guarantee that Indiana would have won its last two games if it had beaten Illinois. But if, if I had told you that Indiana was going to go to Illinois and score 45 points and Brendan Sorsby was going to have, if you, if you adjust his total yardage for sacks, he was going to produce more than 350 yards of offense and five touchdowns. I think if you were an Indiana fan, you would say, great, can't wait to beat Illinois. And if I told you that Indiana was going to beat Wisconsin and Illinois in back-to-back weeks and show in particular the offensive improvement, because I think the thing you and I discussed being the biggest sort of hurdle for this team to possibly running the table in those last four games. It felt like an offense that just, you you weren't sure you could count on to score maybe more than three touchdowns in a game. If I told you that they were going to win those two games and in the second of them, the offense was really going to start to click and find some things. And, you know, Donovan McCulley gets going, Trent Howland, obviously Soresby with his legs as well as his arm. You would have looked at it and said, well, Indiana's probably going to be the favorite. I mean, they are the favorite against Michigan State. I wouldn't be shocked if they're the favorite against Purdue, even after everything. Um, and you would have looked at it and said, well, great. Indiana's actually kind of riding the crest of a wave at the right time. And they're four and six, but they're going to be the favorite in these last two games. And if they take care of business at home, then all they got to do is go up to, up to West Lafayette with it in their hands. Again, it just kind of comes back to the idea that, it, you know, it, it and, you, you know, you, I think you said it was worrying. And I, I do think it's worrying that, it feels like it's not just one thing or it's not just scheme or it's not just, you know, oh, there's this one position where they're just so thin because of injuries or youth or whatever. Um, even up to and including Tom Allen saying, yeah, I didn't really see this coming. I, I didn't think that we had practiced that badly or prepared that badly. Um, it just does kind of feel like one of those where it's like, well, then what, you know, just what does that suggest about the whole picture when there's not maybe one you know root cause you can kind of assign these outcomes to and yeah i kind of i looked it up last night um in terms of where Allen and the team kind of ranks going back to 2021 they're nine and 25 three and 22 in the conference three and 23 against power five opponents five uh they're one of five power five programs with less than 10 combined wins during that stretch can you name the other four Power five. Let's see. I'm going to guess Vandy's got to be one. Vanderbilt's one. Boston College. Nope. Uh, Georgia Tech. No, no ACC teams. No ACC teams. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> uh, Cal has to be one of them. No, but there is this team in California. Power five teams are in California. All right. Stanford then. Yes. 
dang nerds. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun. I would never. One in the Big Ten and one in the and one in the Pac-12. There's one in the Big Ten and one. One more in the Big Ten and one one in the Pac-12. Arizona State in the Pac-12. No. Colorado. Yeah, because they had the one and eleven. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just like yelling. I'm yelling. I'm just yelling. This state. is not as informed as I thought you would be. And Northwestern's the other one. Northwestern, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Vanderbilt's the only team with less uh, conference wins and Power Five wins. They've only had two during that stretch. Um, and so you could kind of see wh- where in where Indian is at. Obviously, Colorado's on the upswing a little bit in terms of you know having landed Dion, but I mean, not a group of teams you want to be with, I suppose, right now. And um, you know, Northwestern's having a better than expected season this year. Um, but in terms of like hope, uh, you know, in, in terms of like forward looking and like what do you have? I mean, that's it's pretty bleak when you kind of look at that group of teams. Um, you know, and, and Indiana's probably right there at the bottom. I mean, if if you want to spin it positively, I guess the one thing you'd say is that it does feel like we have seen Indiana make some real progress in these last two or three weeks. Like suddenly it, the, the offense kind of has a way forward. It has some some life to it. Of course, in the portal era, the NIL era, you know, that's always a movable feast. And you've always got to make sure that you're sort of, I hate to say it this way, but sort of protecting your assets. You know, I mean, essentially like securing your roster. Tom Allen's kind of talked about it that way. Um and I do think, I mean, listen, I, I am curious about these last two weeks because what we're talking about here are intangibles. And I guess just to sort of spin it forward, because I'm guessing most listeners to this podcast don't have a huge interest in thinking much more about the IU-Illinois game. Um, I am interested in these last two weeks because what we're talking about here then are intangibles. You know, if, if there's not necessarily one schematic thing where you can just say they're terrible in pass defense or they just don't, you know, the, the, the line is too beat up or whatever, you are talking about kind of mentality and approach and collective togetherness, leadership, you know, spirit, all that stuff. And now you got these two games that ultimately they don't mean much in the sense that they're not going to get you to a bowl game without some sort of, you know, weird five and seven nonsense. And I think this may actually be a year where a couple of five and seven teams get to bowl games, but I don't think that's something Indiana is really going to worry about right now for obvious reasons. On the other hand, you know, listen, I think it's only twice in the last 20 years Indiana's had the bucket and the old brass spittoon in the same season, um, has, has won them both in the same season. Um, there have been years where they only won one. There have been years where they didn't even play for the spittoon. But, you know, Indiana's still favored on Saturday. If they win Saturday, they'll probably be favored at Purdue. At best, I'm guessing that would be a pick game. My point is you can still, theoretically, if you're Indiana – Win more games than you won last year. Win more trophy games than you won last year. Win your first game over Purdue in four years because they didn't play during the COVID season. Um, there's still stuff worth fighting for that would make it feel potentially like some things were pointed back in a positive direction. Heading into an offseason where you really need some positive direction, and I don't want to get into you know how hot is – Tom Allen's seat and all that stuff. But like we've talked a number of times, you and I, about just the difficulty of Indiana's schedule next year. Like you've got to feel like you've got some identity and some momentum going into next year. And I just think it's going to be an interesting test for anyone and everyone who's kind of got a hold on that locker room. You know, basically just what kind of effort Indiana can get out of these last two weeks. Yeah, and you know, not to dive like you said the coaching thing, but kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't a little bit with that schedule um next year, you know, I I think it's probably frustrating for Tom Allen 
that he was, you know, if you go into this offseason five and seven and you had the schedule that they had previously for next year, you were probably feeling pretty good and you could lay out a vision. Um, and now you kind of run through the gauntlet again. Um, you know, it's just it's tough. And if they brought in somebody new, you set them up with that, you know, gauntlet. I mean, it's just there's no win situation for next year with that updated schedule for Indiana. But like you said, I think you're looking, you know, when he lays out, you know, at the end of the year for Scott Dolson, I think you want as many positive data points as you can. I mean, you can keep a Donovan McCulley if you can keep uh, Trent Holland and you've got Sorsby and Rod Carey kind of locked up. I mean, that's your offense next year, right? Like an EJ Williams comes back because uh, he has eligibility. Um, I mean, that's your all, you know, that's your skill player. You got a real good uh, base. Um, and so, those are all things he needs. And, you know, offensive line, there's some guys that could make some choices to come back and you've got a couple nice pieces kind of behind them. Um, you know, so you, you say we have this nucleus, uh, you know, defensively, you're probably going to, you know, keep hitting the portal, but, um, you, you know, I, I just think he wants as many positive things as he can get. If there's two more performances like he had on Saturday against Illinois, I mean, then, you know, you have stuff to answer for. You can't have, I mean, these two games have got to go, you know, better efforts than what they put on the field on, on Saturday. Let's move on from football and talk about hoops. It's obviously been a really interesting week. Uh, Indiana is 2-0, and and Indiana, I suspect, is not giving either of those wins back. Uh, I think it's also been clear from Mike Woodson's postgame comments, particularly from Xavier Johnson's postgame comments on Sunday night. Um, Indiana is not at all aloof to how bad it has looked and how bad it has played through um, long stretches of these first two games, a six-point win over Florida Gulf Coast and an eight-point win over Army. Um, you could kind of you could you, you could understand the Florida Gulf Coast thing a little bit. Um, that's not a bad team. You, of course, um, you know, if you're Indiana, you were breaking in a very new, you know, sort of um roster and all those different things but but for so much of that to carry over against army the long stretches of of offensive kind of you know just i don't want to say incompetence but certainly impotence um the extent is, to which it feels like the rotation is impotent better than <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, incompetent I, I think it's a better I, word i think it's a, it's a better sort of word i, I don't know that. that's that's a tough one that's a tough, um, tough one which would you rather be? Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to get in trouble for this. Um, but you know, the, the, just the, the sort of uh, almost like the lapses in concentration that lead to the defensive breakdowns, the extent to which it feels like the rotations really aren't listen, rotation shouldn't be, you know, a, a firmed up thing this early in the season, but the extent to which it feels like rotations really aren't making the impact Mike Woodson needs, um, the fact that Indiana is still so vulnerable, and I'm going to write some of this today, but the fact that Indiana is still just so vulnerable to teams making some threes, like not even shoot. I mean, Florida Gulf Coast shot well from three. Army didn't, but Army just made a bunch of them, and Indiana didn't, and so that's how Army stayed close. Um, we knew this team was going to look kind of rough around the edges for a while, but, you know, the lived experience is probably a little rougher than we expected. Yeah, I mean they're just not getting much uh, for for long stretches. I mean when you're when Mike Woodson after the game says you know our starters have stunk the last two games and at the start of the game that's obviously not ideal. And then you know you're not getting anything out of the second unit really. Um, you know Gabe Cups has been 
good down the stretch, but I mean, it's not like he's dominating when he's in the game. Otherwise, I mean, he's had five points yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the other day, and it was a big three at the end, and he's played some nice defense, but they need more from the bench than that. And, um, you know, it's a whole, you know, they haven't played much because that, you know, he, Woodson hasn't trusted them yet. I think, um, you know, he's still trying to, you know, he said repeatedly, he didn't really know um, a lot about this team going into the season. There was just so many unknowns with kind of all the new faces and I'm um, trying to get everything together. And that's certainly, I mean, he warned everybody, right? I mean, I, you know, he said, this is what, was what it was going to be. And it, it's lived up to that billing. Um, you know, I think you certainly are concerned with, you know, we talked about this after the game about Mackenzie Mbako playing so little, um, you, you know, and not there, but that's not to say there's not been positives, you know, Khalil Ware, I think obviously is one of them. Malik Renew, I think has been strong. Um, so, you know, you kind of try to build on those and you know, maybe it just takes kind of, you know, focusing on, on the good things right now for him offensively to try to. Um, you know, get those fast breaks going and get some things started. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to like, I mean, if, you know, for reference, Indiana's 72nd right now in adjusted offensive efficiency on Kim Palm, Indiana's 60th defensively. Um, you know, at the baseline, I don't think Indiana's defensive performances have been terrible. Um, they've not necessarily been great, particularly defending the three against Florida Gulf Coast, but I think, you know, the the if there's like a numbers issue to me, it's that this team in games like that needs to show the capacity to have a couple of runs where it just scores 12 or 15 straight points. It just, it should be better. It should be more athletic, quicker, whatever. They had that one against Florida Gulf coast to turn around a six point deficit, but kind of this idea that in games like that, often the way you win them comfortably is there are just one or two stretches in a game where you just take the game away from the other team. You just, you, you know, you lock down defensively. Maybe it's, it's their subs or maybe their starters have played too much and they're tired. And you just, you know, again, you go on like a 15 to one run and then it's sort of the game stays in stasis for another five, seven minutes. And then you go on a 12 to nothing run and suddenly you're up 26 points and everybody kind of broadly, you know, recognizes what's happened and what you're doing and, and, um, you know, just sort of says, well, you know, fair enough. Um, but the offense just is not capable of sustaining anything right now. And then when you get to the other end of the floor, again, the numbers look okay defensively. You're a top 75 team in two point field goal defense. Um, Florida Gulf coast really hurts you from behind the three point line. But I mean, like army, Army was 11 of 28. That's under, or excuse me, no, excuse me, 13 of, uh, what am I looking at? Here we go. 13 of 38. That's 34.2%. You can live with your opponent shooting 34% from three. But when you are producing so little offensively, I think you're at a place. And again, like I'm going to write some of this. And, and one of the many problems Indiana's had with the three point line, frankly, for the last seven years has been that opponents don't necessarily need to always to shoot it well for it to be effective. They just need to shoot enough of them that they get a significant volume of makes that Indiana is not natural. You know, again, 13 to 38 from three is not a great number for Army. And I don't think Army was taking all those threes because some of them were open. Some of them were just kind of settle shots. I think some of them were Army just saying, I'd rather take a three than drive at Kalel Ware. But I think a, a team like Army is also saying, I'd rather shoot threes because I know that ultimately – I got to take some chances to win. And one of the chances I'm going to take is if that, if I can hit double digit threes, even on low accuracy, 
it's just going to produce offense at a volume that's going to give this really offensively challenged Indiana team trouble because the, because they won't counter from behind the three-point line at all. Indiana's taken eight threes across these two games. And, um, you know, I, the defensive criticism I get, you know, because there's been lapses, but in the second half in both games, they had stretches where I thought they, when they ramped up the intensity just a bit and the crowd got into it, they were really, really effective. Like, they had – they. You know, they forced three shot clock violations and would have had two others. Uh, you mentioned kind of shooting the threes, except for desperation threes at the buzzer from the deep, deep corner. So almost five shot clock violations in the second half they forced. Um, and that was because of effort and, and you know, uh, strong uh, on, on the ball defense. So, I mean, uh, there's been signs that this, you know, what we said, they have the length, they can shut teams down uh, when they when they sort of apply themselves and, and, and focus and lock in. You know, there's been lapses earlier in the game, particularly in that Florida Florida Coast game, uh, Gulf Coast. But I I think defensively they've shown enough where you're like, yeah, this is what that team can be. Offensively, you don't have that sort of uh, <laughs> knowledge base yet because it's been just you know every possessions. Yeah, I think you said it was a wild wild ride. You know, it's just like you don't have any idea where it's going to end or how it's well, going to break down. I mean, there's just there's still, listen. I mean, like McKenzie and Baco, I think is is struggled to get playing time in the second half because he struggled defensively. And and I think if you watch him through some defensive possessions, I can understand where that comes from. But then the flip side is, you know, you sort of look at and say, well, run some more stuff for him offensively that might get him a little bit more engaged in the game. You know, and and he's had a couple moments where Indiana ran like little pin down actions and things. He came off those. He gets a three. It feels like that's, you know, that's the player that Indiana recruited, but you don't kind of come back. It's one of many things that it feels like Indiana does not come back to consistently. I think the only thing Indiana still looks comfortable with, and I don't think this is necessarily like Mike Woodson just saying, oh, let's run back to what works. But Indiana is still pretty good in the post-up game early in this season. And I think it's just purely because what that's, they, that's what they did what last year. And so that enough guys on the floor are going to have the muscle memory of what that looks like. But is what know, they running for where similar to just the, the plays they ran for Trace? A bit more renew than where. Um, okay. but I mean you see a little bit of both. Um but even then, you know, like they ran a, a Ryan Carraza, a good friend of the podcast over at Inside the Hall, ran uh, posted this this gif that we may have talked about on the last podcast of this little sort of pin down floppy action that, that Indiana ran for McKenzie and Baco in the Marion game. And it it resulted in an open three-pointer that Mbako made. Last year, they would have run something like that, but the player flaring out to the wing would have just taken the ball and dumped it down into the post. It looked like, oh, hey, here's a different wrinkle on the same thing, essentially. But now, instead of feeding Trace Jackson Davis, you've got this five-star wing player that can, you know, pop out, set his feet, and get a shot up really quickly, and he's six foot eight, so you're not going to be able to contest it effectively. And it felt like, okay, these are the little sort of wrinkles that Indiana can sprinkle in, and they haven't been able to to consistently sort of put those things together. They also, you know, they want to play faster. I think you understand why they want to play faster, both because of their half-court challenges and also because of the, the length, the speed, the athleticism they can put on the floor. But they're turning the ball over on 22.2% of possessions, which is way too high of a number. They're not rebounding the ball well off it, or de- offensively or defensively. They're 253rd in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, and they're 232nd in the country in, in opponent offensive rebounding percentage. And so you throw any of that stuff in alongside, again, just an inability to, you know, make the three-point line work. Like, if you're not going to take threes, and Indiana has, again, Indiana has made four in each of these two games – 
They've only attempted 24. I mean, that's 12 attempts a game. That is a bottom of the barrel kind of number. If you're not gonna, if you're not going to attempt threes, you can't allow opponents to take to take them. You just can't because if I mean, like the, the the sheer math of it, if you think about it, is if you make, you know, three out of every six twos, they only have to make two out of every six threes to match you. So you've got to shoot fifty percent. They've only got to shoot thirty three, and they'll still they'll still go blow for blow with you and. As much as basketball has become a sport that is reliant on the three-pointer, more and more players are probably going to have a comfort level with shooting from a pretty from pretty long distance, which means you can't necessarily look at a guy and say, oh, he's not going to pull from there. Even an army or a right state or whatever, you're still going to look at that player and say, mm, I probably got to go get up on him, you know, and 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 get close to him. Um there's just, I mean. I, I, I put these numbers together Sunday night when I got home from the game because it was fresh in my mind. Indiana, these are this is the the percentile nationally in made threes across the course of the last six seasons: three hundred and tenth, two hundred and eighty sixth, three hundred and twelfth, two hundred and fourteenth, two hundred and sixty fourth, and two hundred and ninety eighth. Indiana has actually scored more points from behind the three point line in each of the last two seasons than they did in any of Archie Miller's four seasons, save the one year that Romeo Langford was in Bloomington, which also coincidentally was a year Indiana played three postseason games and went to the NIT quarterfinal. Um, but the problem is they're just not shooting threes. And what you see in the flip side is, you know, for the last five years, their opponents have been 209th or worse in opponent three-point shooting. So in, in other words, opponents have been making like a, a higher than median percentage volume of threes. And that's against a team that has been in the top 45 in Kim Palm adjusted efficiency each of the last five years in, in, in adjusted defensive efficiency. So it's not like there has just been this glaring, like, you know, oh my God, Indiana just cannot defend the three year after year. I think what it's basically been is opponents have just gotten to a place where they said they have an elite shot blocker inside and they don't take threes. So, you know, if we get to a point where we, if, if the window's half open, shoot it because. Right. But I mean, I mean, is there, you know, is there a way around that? I mean, it's roster construction, right? I mean, they've yeah. Got, I mean, I mean, they've, at this point, they are what they are, right? They don't, they only, they don't have a, I mean, you could get a little bit out of that front court in terms of range, but I, mean, I think you could run more stuff for certain guys, but then you've got this whole issue with, you know, I mean, again, like Gabe Cups and these three guard lineups, you needed to pivot to each of these first two games just to make it work defensively. Right. Cups is a good three point shooter, but Cups is also a point guard. He's not somebody who spent his whole career running off screens and drifting to corners and, you know, understanding how to move off the ball to create a high volume of three point attempts. He's always been the player that's been looking for the players that are doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's almost kind of like a, a de like a devil's bargain in a way because Indiana's not actually that bad defending the three. That's not the issue. Like it's not some schematic. Oh, but you're, I mean, the point is teams are going to commit to shooting it whether they make it or not because they 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 don't have to make very many to keep the to score keep even, yeah. even essentially. And like, but uh, you know, on the flip side, I don't know, you know. How to, what's the solution when you don't have a barrage of three point shooters or guys that that's sort of in their wheelhouse? You know, or he's gonna. You, I mean, you, you've got to make 
you've got to make up the offensive gap like quickly. Because I mean, what what made this work for Indiana across the last two seasons was they were just so remarkably efficient inside that right. They don't have that. This they, I mean, well, they have nothing right now. I mean, obviously, you know, no no yeah. consistent offense right now. So they've got to find something. But I mean, what that is, you know, it, it's sort of mystifying right now. I mean. When the when the guy that you kind of th- thought would be your leading scorer is you know spending most of his time on his bench, that might change. But probably needs, to, like you said, change in a hurry because you need to get him in the flow in these games. These are the time when you need to kind of get him ready for that Big Ten schedule. And Mackenzie and Baco, don't you think? Yeah, and I think I think you've also you've I mean you've got to find ways to showcase these better. I mean, like for example, Kalel Ware, who has been really good across these first two games. Indiana's best stretches have tended to come when they have gotten Ware really involved, when he's been on the floor and when they have run stuff that has put the ball in his hands in positions where he's really comfortable. And then, you know, coaches will always say, well, we want our defense to feed our offense and not the other way around. But, like, listen, anybody who's played any sport ever will tell you that you score a touchdown, you knock down a couple shots, you score a goal – suddenly the, the the you know the joy of life is in your legs again and maybe you're running a little bit harder in transition or you're working a little harder well, i think ex- xavier johnson took charges in each of these games that sort of ignited you know both yeah. the, the indiana tw- you know both times that's so to your point the other thing i would say too is indiana has got to limit turnovers and it it cannot be so weak on the off- on the defensive glass i think the problem you have there is you're turning the ball over because you're trying to run because you feel like you need that to be your offense because you don't want to get into the half court because it's so much of a grind and because you don't really, again, it's, it's not even like, I remember some of the Archie Miller teams that couldn't shoot threes. And I mean, you would look and you just see, I mean, there'd be, you know, five players with a foot in the paint at any given time. I don't think this team has that problem necessarily so much as I just don't think it knows where it's supposed to go for kind of that consistent scoring rhythm yet. So you want to get out and run because you don't want to get bogged down in half-court offense where you're not as good. But you also need to stop allowing so many offensive rebounds, which means more guys need to hang back, and maybe you need to play a little slower. Well, suddenly, you know, these these two... Well, and also the rebounding, when you're you're playing a short three-guard lineup for 10 minutes in the second half each game, I mean, you're... I mean, that's... You're... What, that's what you're giving up. You're conceding the rebounding, right? I mean, you know, they played, you know, I think it's more than 10 minutes with that three-guard lineup in each of the first two games in that second half. So, you know, Woodson said that that's our best look defensively, so you're kind of giving up some of the rebounding edge. Um, you know, I, I think that might change a little bit um, once you go bigger down the stretch. But, I mean, they haven't been particularly good on the boards earlier in games either, but that's to – Woodson's point that they haven't played very good in the, the first 10 minutes of games. Um, so <laughs> a lot to fix. And, you know, Xavier, you mentioned his comments said you know, practice effort and effort kind of across the board has got to pick up here in a hurry and maybe, you know, Wright state, or maybe, you know, the scare against army sort of knocks them out of that um, and, and gets them sort of, of, you know, I don't know, more locked in here or that trip to New York with all the eyes. You know, you you look for something that, you know, kind of provides that spark. And maybe it's this week with some, you know, obviously big time games. I think the first thing Indiana's got to do, and this sounds simplistic, but just like avoid a disastrous loss. Because, again, one way or another, I don't I think people had to expect that this was this was possible. 
that that you know that Indiana was going to look this rough early, maybe not quite as rough as it looked against Army, but that it was going to be a real work in progress for a while. So I think the first thing you've got to look at, you know, basically across the next, let's say, month, you can't lose to Wright State, you can't lose to Harvard, and if we assume for a moment that they don't beat Connecticut, you can't lose to Louisville. Um, like finding assuming Louisville loses in the first round. Uh, I'm assuming Louisville loses a lot. Like, I'm not sure what I'm assuming Louisville doesn't lose at this point. Um, you know, across the next month, the, the first thing you have to assure yourself is five wins from the two they've already got, plus Wright State, potentially Louisville, and Harvard. Um, then from there, like, if you could just pick up one or two scalps, like Maryland doesn't look great right now, and that's not like a win that's going to – you know, send people down to Kirkwood rioting. Um, they just lost to Davidson and uh, U, uh, Alabama, Birmingham, and some some non-conference event in Nashville. But, like, in, it's basically just anything else beyond that you could build on. Great. But, like, you know, Indiana plays – I'm literally just counting in my head while we do this. I think Indiana plays 12 games before the new year, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's 13. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, I think it's just twelve. Indiana plays twelve games. That that math doesn't add up. Five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, it's like, eleven, twelve. It's, I can see on video. It's like the wheels are turning. And it's, 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 it's twelve games. I don't. I don't. I, they, oh no, I know what it is. Okay, Indiana plays. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Thirteen Indiana with the plays with thirteen the second, games. I'm not yeah, seeing the uh, second game in New York. Is the problem on the Kim Pom. Yeah. Um. 13 games between now and the new year. I mean, if it could be eight and five and of the eight, all eight were just the teams that can't lose to, like, I think that's kind of got to be, I don't want to say the expectation, but I think that's the thing where you're, if, if you're looking at Indiana between now and the new year, you just sort of say, get to January intact and let some of the ugliness of November and December kind of inform where you've got to get so better. You're, so you're saying you mean you're, the losses then would be like Kansas, would, the losses would be Connecticut, Connecticut Maryland, Auburn, Michigan, Auburn, and Kansas. Michigan. Who was the other one? Oh, Maryland. Kansas. Maryland, Connecticut, Maryland, Michigan, Auburn, Kansas. But Maryland's one that you want to probably try to get. Just yeah, and if yeah. you could, if you could add, listen, if you can get two of those, you'd be in great shape given what we've seen over the first week. If you could even just get a Maryland or like an Auburn on a neutral floor, and I think Auburn's a good team. But my point is, if you can add any one, like basically, what I'm essentially arguing here is get to January with your head above water, right? Which is to say, don't lose any of these games that are going to be an anchor, like an anchor tied around your ankle on Selection Sunday. And then if you can add anything after that, that is a bonus because there's going to be a lot of just, you know, kind of grinding through it, I think, for a while. And I, I mentioned this in an insider and we're running short on time, but it is interesting to me. Five days between Florida Gulf Coast and Army, four between Army and Wright State, you're going to get the week off. Now, the guys are going to be able to go home for Thanksgiving for a little while, but you're going to get the week off for the most part between whoever you play on Monday in New York and the Sunday against Harvard. Then you don't play from Sunday to Friday when you play Maryland. There's a Tuesday, Saturday in there. There's obviously it's finals week, but there's a whole week from Saturday to Saturday between Auburn and Kansas. And then you're going to have at least a little time during the Christmas break. 
there's time for teaching, I guess is my point. Like this isn't a, this isn't a non-conference schedule where there's a lot of games condensed into a really short space of time. I think the only time Indiana plays more than like three games in a week, if I'm not mistaken, is um, the Kansas Moorhead State North Alabama when you get the other side of of the semester and you're into you're into the holiday break. I think that's the only three games in a week stretch, which is not always common for non-conference schedules. There's time to teach. And I think Indiana's just kind of got to keep its head above water while it figures some things out. And 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 you've got to hope that the guys who need to get the message get a message and that, you know, you get a little healthier with guys like Peyton Sparks and you just kind of work through some of this and and just like I said, just kind of grind your way through it. Yeah, I mean, and I, like I said, I think this next little these this five day stretch where they have right and uh, and the Empire Classic, I think they'll learn. They'll have a lot of you know you mentioned teaching. They'll have a lot on film to sort of say, here's what we want to avoid. Here's what we need to do more of. Um, against some competition that you know, obviously, talent level wise is going to be sim, you know, closer to what they faced during the Big Ten as opposed to an Army or, or Florida Gulf Coast. So to your point, I think uh, Mike Woodson should be willing to try some different things here um, to give himself the looks of what does and doesn't work um, so he can kind of uh, learn more about this team um, in, in real moments. We'll leave it there for now. Um, he's Mike Nislick. I'm Zach Osterman. We'll be back um, probably sometime next week. We'll both be in New York, so we will, you know, the good, the bad, whatever in between happens uh, at the world's most famous arena. We will get an up-close look at it and, and obviously discuss it for your listening pleasure uh, in the aftermath. Between now and then, for the Indianapolis Star, the Bloomington Herald Times, I'm Zach Gosterman. This has been Mind Your Banners. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.